<laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> All right. Actually, I just felt just at the end of the worship, just kind of a prophetic word, so I'm just going to share it. Um, uh, for the sermon, uh, I just felt God say, to communicate to you, just, if you, if you would, just take this personally, maybe close your eyes. Uh, you matter to God. You matter. And if I could walk through and say this to each one individually, you matter. And um, uh, we're here, I'm here to preach this sermon to you. And the worship team is just, they just did an amazing job for you. And God showed up this morning at church for you. And you need to believe that. Because you matter. You matter. Say, I matter. I matter. God's here for me. Say, God's here for me. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Now, we're here for him. And so that means we're like him. And I'm here for you. You're not here for me. Did you understand that? It's really important. A lot of people come to church think they're, they're coming to church for the pastor or for the church's sake. No, the church exists for your sake. All right? But then once you receive that, then you exist. You, you come for the church's sake. So we're both in it for one another, right? And that's, that's koinonia. That's, that's being the church. So, but, but on a, in a, deep down, you know, God so loved you that he sent Jesus and he built this church for you, you know, and for everyone else you bring. So take it, receive it. Father, we just bless that. that each, each person, Father, each individual would understand that, we're, we're, that they matter uh, to you. They matter so much to you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to die on the cross for, for me personally, for them personally. And, and that's, what, that's what's rocked our world and changed my life. Uh, Father, let it change the lives of the people we meet. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, <clears throat> continuing on the series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, maybe if you could turn it down a little bit. I feel like I need to hold back. So. I don't like to hold back when I preach. Everybody awake? <clears throat> so this whole idea of the Sermon on the Mount series is that we're going to take a slow, uh, deeper look at the sermon and kind of go verse by verse through that rather than uh, a topical study that I normally do in a, in a, in a month-long series. So I really don't know how long this is going to take. <clears throat> and uh, we'll just kind of see how it goes. The last uh, time I spoke, uh, I heard Sarah did a great job last week. Did she do good? Good work. Um, a couple of weeks ago when I introduced it, we got through the, um, the genealogy and, and basically the, the opening uh, uh, of, of the book of Matthew and, and kind of beginning... Rather than jumping right into the sermon, giving a little bit of the context of the sermon, and this week I'm going to talk a little bit more specifically of, of the of the more immediate context of the sermon. So I'm not even getting to the sermon yet, and I felt bad about that when I was preparing, but then I thought, hey, I don't have to worry, right? There's no hurry. <laughs> I don't have to worry because there's no hurry. <laughs> so we're going to read Matthew 4:12 through 17, uh, and uh, then talk about that. Now when Jesus, I'm reading out of the New King James, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow and shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember that the purpose of this series is not only to, to delve into and get information out of um, the scripture, which is, of course, what a sermon is all about. <clears throat> but I'm hoping that you also can kind of see how we can learn lessons from the scriptures that we read. Um, so, you know, the points, the applications are just going to be taken right from the text. And um, it, it, to, to get the most out of it, kind of see how that's done. <clears throat> And so that as you're reading the Bible, you can actually get more out of the Bible uh, and uh, in, in, implement it into your own life. So in this one little text, we see a number of transitions. Everybody say transitions. Not transmissions. Come on, guys. <coughs> transitions. All right. <coughs> Changes from one stage to another. And the first is a transition from John the Baptist to Jesus the Messiah. Uh, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed from Galilee. And so previous in, in the book of Matthew, it was talking about the ministry and the person, the role of John the Baptist. And now it changes and uh, the focus is on Jesus the Messiah. Uh, John came to herald uh, the coming of the Messiah, right? When he said, prepare ye the way. So John came to prepare the way, but Jesus is the way, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so there's a transition from the ministry, the person of uh, John the Baptist to Jesus. And I love this quote from the commentary I'm using. It says, John had preached the same message. You know, read what John preached. The kingdom of God, heaven. He preached the kingdom. Repent. He preached repentance. Baptism. He preached baptism. Jesus preached all the same things. John had preached the same message, but in Jesus' ministry, what for John was future became present. And God's kingdom became a reality. John came saying, prepare the way. Jesus came and he was the way. John was talking about something future. Jesus was the future. Right? So we see a major transition there. Um, there was a transition from Nazareth, Nazareth to Galilee. Now, this is a, strate a strategic move in, 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 in a sense. <clears throat> I mean, Jesus was a smart guy. <laughs> John had just been arrested, eventually is beheaded. And so the opposition in the city of Jerusalem uh, was increasing to this move of God on many fronts. And so uh, Jesus hightailed it out of there. All right. And there's a reason for that. It wasn't just this, you know, John was arrested, as, as we're going to get into. But there's a transition of location as well as a transition of the focus of the person that the book is, is uh, uh, focused on. So there's a move from Galilee, uh, from Nazareth to Galilee. Now, there's actually, I have a map. Boom, there it is. <clears throat> Nazareth, uh, and Gal uh, Nazareth is there on the, on the bottom left. And it goes up to the Sea of Galilee. And um, just in case you ever want, I've never been to Israel. I hope to go sometime. Uh, I really hope to go. Uh, 
but uh, is Bob here? Bob Brower was there not a few years ago. He, yeah. How big is the Sea of Galilee? Eighteen. So it's not that big. Like what? Yeah, he was surprised how small we think it's the Sea of Galilee. Of course, we're used to lakes around here that are big. <laughs> I travel around the world. I talk to people about the Great Lakes, and they have no idea. You know, I went to the North Sea, uh, and I went to the beach in the North Sea in in, in, the, in the Holland in the Netherlands, and there's sand dunes. I walk out, and I go, "Jeez, this is just like like Michigan. It looks just like Lake Michigan." And the guy looked at me and said, "Oh, this is the North Sea, man." I mean, yeah, but I'm talking about Lake Michigan. <laughs> and he was like, they just can't. They think a lake, you can see the other side, and you, know, you swim across it if you're in shape. <clears throat> but the Sea of Galilee was just a big lake. <clears throat> and there's a, it's a 40-mile hike from Nazareth to, to, to Galilee. And so it's like walking to Vandalia. I just like to walk to church every, every day. No, that would be hard. Uh, that it might be fulfilled. This is really more important part. Uh, that it might be fulfilled. And so what we see here, Jesus um, represented as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Remember we talked about Matthew is specifically written to communicate a transition from the Old Testament to the, uh, to the New Testament and to help people that were um, raised and very familiar with uh, a Jude, uh, 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 Jewish culture and, the, and steeped in the teaching of the Old Covenant. How does Jesus fit into that? And how, how does the New Covenant fit into that? And here we see a real emphasis on Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecies right here at the beginning, even him moving from one place to another, is a specific fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. Uh, Naphtali and, and the land of Zebulun, those were people groups that, that, uh, that inhabited that region, that he moved up there, and even uh, the, who was living in those areas. But the idea that Jesus is fulfilling what was predicted and, and what was uh, spoken, prophesied in the Old Testament. And we see a shift, and this is very important to understand, at the beginning, everybody say at the beginning, at the beginning of Christ's ministry to the Gentiles as the fulfillment of Old Testament. Okay? Jesus' ministry shifted to the Gentiles at the beginning of his ministry. All right? As the fulfillment of Old Testament. It's not a departure of God's plan as some people and some uh, commentaries and a whole bunch of Bible teachers have taught in a certain segment that God changed his mind and went after the Gentiles after Israel rejected Christ. But according to Matthew, <laughs> at the beginning of Jesus' ministry as a fulfillment of what the Old Testament purposed that he was sent to the Gentiles. Right? So this shifts. Uh, we need to understand, we need to, under, we need to interpret the commentaries by Scripture. All right? How is Jesus' ministry represented in the Bible? Rather than, and, and, and we've been, and this is a particularly uh, an American uh, idea, by the way. Most of the world m missed that whole, it's called dispensationalism. It's totally American. Um, although it's, you know, spread in different places in the world. But uh, 
so it, there's a direct connection here that the ministry and this whole idea of Christ coming for all the world to all the nations is represented as a fulfillment, and it's at the beginning. Jesus is, begins his ministry. This is a quote from the from a, a, a study Bible. It says Jesus begins his mission in the most ethnically and culturally diverse portion of Israel. Gosh, does that say something about Jesus? Does that say something about the nature of Jesus' kingdom? You bet. The rest of the Jewish people viewed Galilee as only marginally Jewish. Jesus begins where he is most needed among the marginalized. And this is a striking contrast that we see in the kingdom of Christ. Rather than remaining at the hub of the Jewish world, right? Jesus departs intentionally and goes to the part of the country where, quote, nothing good could come from. Now, everybody thought that about Galilee. And Jesus said, that's where I'm going. All right? And that is the fulfillment that God intended that way back when Isaiah prophesied it. All right? And Jesus came for those displaced, marginalized, looked down upon. He demonstrated this at the beginning of his ministry, and he continues to minister in the very same way today, doesn't he? He comes for those marginalized. So the question is, are you marginalized? Do you feel marginalized? Do you feel that you're on the wrong side of the tracks? Right? Are you in some way disqualified in your own eyes or in the eyes of others? And it's amazing to me how many people this applies to. All right? You know what? You're not alone. And it doesn't matter how much money you have, how many friends you have, how successful you are or unsuccessful you are. Because some of the people that struggle with this most outwardly seem so successful. But inwardly, they say, I don't qualify. All right? In actuality, all of those things, they don't disqualify you from the kingdom. They actually mean that you're the target. Come on? Yeah, come on. There's also a transition from Jesus' private life to public ministry. So three transitions. Transition from John the Baptist to Jesus. Transition from uh, Nazareth, uh, which was a very Jewish uh, uh, culture, uh, central to the Jewish culture, to Galilee, which is more Gentile. The Jews didn't even consider it Jewish. Uh, and there's a transition from Jesus' private life to public ministry. It says from this time, from that time, verse 17, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there's a simplified outline uh, of the whole book of, of Matthew, and it kind of breaks it into three sections. There are much more complex uh, uh, breakdowns, but this is really nice because I think it, it really hits the, the, the main emphasis, the themes. Matthew 1 through 4 is the person of Jesus Christ, and Matthew 4 through 16 are the proclamations of Jesus Christ, and the Sermon on the Mount is the beginning. Uh, and then Matthew 16 through 28 is the passion of, of Jesus. And isn't it amazing? They all start with P. So we can remember the person, the proclamation, and the passion. Uh, <clears throat> um, and uh, we're, we're going to focus on, on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but this, this outline shows, and remember I said that in ancient times, the way you wrote a book was not chronologically, it was not correct to just write uh, the information in a chronological order. You arrange the information to emphasize the purpose of the book, the, the, the meaning of the book, even if you were telling uh, uh, basically a biographical account, 
Uh, and so uh, uh, Matthew is a very skilled author and wrote this purposely to emphasize not only the flow, but what, what the book was written for. It was to reveal the person of Jesus Christ. It's to reveal the proclamations, what Jesus taught, and to reveal the passion. And the passion refers to Jesus' suffering, you know, the passion, like a passion play. <clears throat> uh, it reveals to his suffering, uh, the whole era of the trial, and the crucifixion. And it takes up uh, a large portion of all of the Gospels. All right, next part uh, on the emphasis of the book is, guess what? Pardon me? No. It's Jesus. The book is all about Jesus. <clears throat> Everything. It's a proclamation of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and the passion of Jesus. So it's presented to, to really communicate um, because Christianity is really, you know, it's, it's, it's about Jesus Christ. It's about us coming into a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son. All right, next section. Verse, uh, chapter 4, 18 through 22. This is a call of the disciples. We'll read it in the New King James and go about from there. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, so he made the 40-mile uh, hike. <clears throat> and I don't know how long it took. doesn't say that. Saw two brothers, Simon and Peter. Andrew, uh, Simon called Peter. And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Uh, then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, uh, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. This call, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. It's a very significant uh, phrase. It's a very significant uh, sentence, the utterance of Jesus Christ. And the command, follow me, literally uh, can mean come behind me. And it was a specific call into a more intimate and intentional relationship with Jesus. We know that both by the meaning of the word, but also by the reactions. Uh, to Jesus' word, that they left what they were doing to follow. And from that time forward, they, they were in a relationship with Jesus Christ. From, from a, uh, uh, the commentary, it says, this, this uh, event, uh, and even his call, follow me, would immediately suggest to, to someone in that culture, the disciples of a rabbi who literally followed him around to absorb his teaching. This is how people were trained in ministry during, as far as I know, still today, and in, 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 certainly in historical Judaism, that a rabbi would select disciples and then they would follow the rabbi 24-7, live with them, and the purpose was to absorb his teaching. A good teacher would be expected to have a group of such followers. But Jesus calls his disciples not only to listen and to learn, but to take an active part as fishers of men. That's from the commentary. So I've learned uh, recently that uh, 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 disciples of rabbis were expected not only to learn verbatim, word for word, what the rabbis that they were following taught, but were also expected to be able to say it with the same intonation. All right? So that they, you know, intonation, so it would sound like they were the same person talking, emphasizing the same words. Um, so that's how thoroughly they were able to repeat 
the teachings of their rabbi. Now, this is not just Jesus' followers, but there were a lot of rabbis, you know, uh, that were uh, in, in Jerusalem, and it was the most distinguished career a person could have in that culture was to be called their rabbi, and so they would learn. So this helps us understand, um, you know, in our day, if something's not recorded, right, we have a prophetic word, it's recorded. If it's not recorded, it's forgotten, <laughs> right? Um, so they didn't have iPhones back then. They just memorized it right? because they lived with the person, and Jesus would repeat the teachings frequently, and, when they, and they'd go, he'd go over the teachings. So all the disciples could actually repeat verbatim and actually sound like Jesus when he, they would recite what he would, he would teach. And they would recite something, and he said, no, you got a little wrong there. You know, the emphasis is not there, it's not there. And it's like, you still have it wrong. Like, Peter! No. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> the, the idea of absorbing his teaching was the idea. And in most rabbinical relationships, the student was down here and the teacher was up here and they were just there to absorb the teaching. But Jesus actually does it a little differently and he, he takes them, he calls them into active participation. You're going to be part of this ministry. You're actually going to do this stuff. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And the traditional way to do this uh, in rabbinical times, is that uh, rabbis would select, depending on the, the better the rabbi, the more respected the uh, position the rabbi had, that he had, you know, it's like the draft uh, in a sports team, which I don't really understand anything about sports, so I'm going into unknown territory. But it's like <laughs> the best players get the fir- you know, get to be chosen first by the best teams, right? Is that kind of how it works? But it was something. The worst teams get the higher choice? See how I, I don't know anything about sports. <laughs> well, back then it was like the best rabbis would choose the best students, and then the second-tier rabbis would choose the second-tier. And so if you weren't among the best of the students in your teens, you were just, you're, not, you're just too bad. You don't get the scholarship. You, get, you have to go to work. <laughs> and these guys that were, had already gone to work. They were uh, uh, fishermen. <clears throat> so the, uh, the fact that uh, Jesus called these men, while well, they, they were probably in their early 20s, all right, 20. So all the disciples, when you read through the Gospels, the book, we're talking about 20-year-old guys, all right? Young guys. That's why I have a really hard time if anybody comes to me about having a difficulty receiving from a, someone that's in their 20s that's teaching, or if someone's over a ministry and they're only in their 20s or 30s. I'm like, man, you would not You would have a hard time with the disciples. You'd have a hard time with Jesus. Shoot, he died when he was 33, you know? So it's not about youth, is it? Uh, and so they, it, uh, uh, that's a humbling thing for us older people. But it's actually, once you, once you realize the benefit of it, it's great. You just get to, to get all that good stuff on these young people and, and help shape them. So Jesus gave these men a second chance to have the most distinguished career in their culture. Long ago, they and their parents, every parent in, in that time, that was their highest hope, you know. I was like, we would hope our kids get a full-ride scholarship to, to, you know, some Ivy League school. That's their highest hope, because if you're a rabbi, you're respected by everyone. Well, these guys didn't qualify. So-and-so's son got it. He's just going to go into the family business. They're going to be fishermen, hard laborers their whole life, and then they get a call by a rabbi. Little did they know. Now, people will still be talking about them thousands of years later. <clears throat> yeah, wow. Uh, uh, he 
Jesus gives unqualified people a second, a second chance to become more than they could ever dream. That's, that's my Jesus. Right? That's the kingdom. So have you heard the call? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Have you? Because it's about you. And if you haven't, Jesus is saying it. He's no respecter of persons. He's saying it to each and every, every person, every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. I believe the call, whosoever believes. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Have, are you taking an active part in Jesus' ministry? You know, they had to get up and leave. They had to follow. <clears throat> These men were at work when Christ encountered and, and spoke that word to them. What's your story? What's your story when you heard the call? And how did, what's your story and how you responded? See, you have to answer these questions. And that's your testimony. And when you tell that to other people, it will have the effect that this story has on you when you read it. Are you hearing me? Because that's the gospel. That's how these people's lives were transformed. And so when you tell your story to people in your life and they see how your life is transformed, that's the gospel. Amen? And the next thing, and this next point is that discipleship is community. <clears throat> Jesus didn't um, just call Peter first, right? He called Peter. He could have called Peter and said, Peter, follow me and let's go study for two years. Did he? He said, he could have, Peter and your brother, yeah, we'll take you both. Peter needs Andrew. Andrew balances out Peter. <laughs> and then right away they went and he got two more, James and John. So from the beginning, he called them two by two and he formed a group. Just like these disciples, our relationship with Jesus is personal but not private. I've said this before. It's a big deal. Uh, it has a huge implication in every aspect of Christianity and public life as well as private life. Um, uh, religion, faith, is to be personal but not private. Say that. Personal but not private. Personal but not private. Private religion that is not based in community is just as prone to corruption as public religion that has no personal relationship. It's easy to be a critic of someone who's publicly religious but has no personal relationship with Jesus. They're hypocrites, right? It's easy to be critical of that. But private religion that's not based in a community right, and affecting a community that's not public is just as prone, if not more prone, to just wackiness and corruption and people end up getting in their own little life. One person, his life was falling apart and he had his own little religion, you know. And uh, he called me because he knew his pastor was in a crisis and explained to me his religion. Um, and I sat through the whole thing and I was a whole life. And I just said, listen, you've come to the end of your private religion. Your private religion doesn't have the power to deal with your circumstances. You need to give that up and come into the kingdom of God. You know what he chose? 
He chose to stay with his problems. Stay with his pain because he didn't want to give up his private religion. He wanted to worship God, you know, by the river and the trees and smoke weed every day. And, and this is sad. This is not a kid. This is an older guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, like, wow, there's so much potential there. And pray to God, he, you know. I'm still praying for him. Talk to him every now and then. Um, people get real comfortable in that. So <clears throat> this passage clearly displays three important aspects of kingdom culture. A personal call, intimate community, and a purpose to reach others. Fishers of men. Real important aspect. Understanding. What under, we understand Jesus. We understand Christianity. From this simple passage, we can pull out these three important keys. That there's a, there's a you know, Jesus actually said to Peter and to Andrew, follow me. They had to respond. Right? It was a personal call. It was a call to intimate community. It wasn't, it wasn't just Jesus and Peter. It was Jesus and his brother, you know, and John and his brother. And you know how brothers get along, <laughs> right? You know, in community, personal, but in community, and with a purpose to be fishers of men, so other-oriented. So my question to you is, are you integrated into an intimate community of discipleship? All right? If we're going to live like the early church, like, disciples we have to do this and that's the church that's what the church is ephesians paul explains the church in this way in ephesians chapter 4 16 it says from whom the whole body the whole church joined and knit together by what every joint supplies um now that private religion that guy misunderstood the term joint I'm sorry, can we delete that from the tape? <laughs> I'm in a really good mood. I'm just holding back. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, every joint still lies. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. See, this is the church. And I like how the word knit together, you know, that sounds like, oh, knitting. But the, the, the Greek word can actually mean drive. Like an impact drill. <laughs> that kind of changes the description, doesn't it? You know? And like, when I, you know, you think of a joint, man, think of the impact that my tibia, right, has with my femur, tibia and fibulum, fibulum, what are the, the two? Tibia, those are the bones in your shin and your, and the femur, right? How many have knee pain? Yeah, and the little patella that floats over on top, right? And all that stuff. That's church, baby. <laughs> Knees hurt in the morning. That's fellowship. You know what the best thing for joint pain is? No. <laughs> Exercise. Move in the joint. I ride my bicycle mainly because when I ride, the more I ride my bicycle, the less my joints hurt. That's one of the main reasons. And plus, I enjoy it. 
<laughs> but drive together, uh, unite in association or affection. To drive together in association and affection. Are you in a relationship with other believers that drives you, that knits you together in relationship with each other and with Christ? Is your purpose as clear as the purpose Jesus gave to these first disciples? Are you clear in your purpose of why you're involved in church? And that purpose is to love, living in intimate community, to learn, absorbing Jesus' teaching and lifestyle, and to lead, to be um, fishers of men. You know, and that's, that's our, our abbreviated form of our mission statement, loving, learning, and leading. Like I had the whole outline done, and I realized that yesterday I was reading who my notes. Oh, hey, that's our mission statement, so loving, learning, and leading. Are you doing that? Is it evident to other people in your life? Because that's what it means to be a disciple. And it says in verse 22, Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Quote from the uh, commentary, The ready response of the fishermen here in verse 22 indicate the authority of Jesus' summons. It was not their first meeting. Actually, if you read John 1.35 and Luke 5.3, these guys had heard Jesus before, but this was different. This time he came and called them. Uh, but it was the first time Jesus had de- demanded their literally leaving home to join him in his itinerant ministry. It did not involve disposing of home and property or severing family ties. But it would bring a complete disruption, disruption of their normal way of life. Have you experienced a complete dis- disruption of your normal way of life? Good. That means if you can say yes, my life was completely disrupted. And you know what? Regularly, I have to get my life disrupted. You know why? Because I get into ruts. And I need to encounter Jesus and be called and have, hey, hey, Cameron, everything's going to change. No, not again. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Do you... Uh, are you willing to follow Jesus to completely disrupt your life? Uh, do you believe Jesus enough, like Peter and Andrew, James and John, to leave what you thought was your life for a new life? They had to leave it behind. Um, and so this is, how you, this is how Scripture changes your life. You read what happened in their life, and then you say, has that happened in my life? And if not, how can it? And what would it look like? And then go for it. And say, Jesus, I want that. You know? Or maybe, Jesus, I don't want my life completely disrupted. And he'll say, I know. I know you may not want that, but it's to your good. Look, look at the benefit. You know, look at the impact they had. And I'm like, it's, like, it's okay, you could stay where you're at, but I'm going this way. Do you want to be with me? Or do you want to be left in the boat? That's your choice. It's scary, but it's not when you realize who Jesus is. Then you go, wow, it's great, because he actually works it all together uh, for good, for those that love God and are called according to his purpose, right? Um, Like the disciples, it's your chance, your opportunity to be personally trained in a close-knit community to become agents of transformation that will change the world. Amen. Aaron has some announcements. Boom. I'm going to